Good day and welcome to Overdrive, a program where we take a diverse look at cars and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we road test the Kia Seltos, a small SUV, very good car, but it also raises the issue about how helpful some warning systems are and whether we can adjust them to provide the information in the most useful way to the driver. And in our interview, uh, it has been over a year since the death of Queen Elizabeth. Soon after her passing, we road tested the roles she used when in Australia. We spoke to Joanne Eve, who has been instrumental in preserving the vehicle, but her involvement has been more than just as a history buff. We played a full interview with her. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or the socials, podcast, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. Look for Cars, Transport, Culture. This program was originally broadcast on the 13th of January 2024. This week's road test is the Kia Seltos. A small SUV. Now, Kia products have matured very well over the years. It's a very good car with a lot of features. But we must add at the end that like many other cars that has new technologies that give information to the driver, that process can be more distracting than beneficial in some cases. And so while there are many great things about the Kia... It also shows us that we need more choice to be able to turn on the features that we want and that we find to be the most helpful, or more particularly, to turn them off when they can be distracting or downright annoying. SUVs have come under some criticism recently about their heavy weight from all the technology and capability that they're carrying around but are never used and therefore do nothing more than consume precious fuel. In fairness to the SUV category overall, it does cover a wide range of vehicles, and in fact the light and small segments account for 33% of the SUV sales in 2023, while the medium size account for nearly 40% of the sales. And the large and upper large categories which typically fit the stereotype of excessive weight and cumbersome drivetrains, they account for less than 30% of the overall SUV sales. The small SUV under $45,000 category is a mixture of price-driven product and mature manufacturing vehicles. The best-selling vehicle in the class is the MG ZS, clearly a vehicle sold on price. But interestingly, in second place is the Mazda CX-30, a more well-established product, and one of which you have to pay a little more of a premium for. In third place, that goes to the Great Wall Motors Haval Jolion, and fourth place is the Hyundai Kona. The Kia Seltos is in fifth place. Yeah, there are over 20 vehicles currently on sale in the under $45,000 small SUV class. And indeed, the more luxury versions above 45,000, are also well represented with some 15 vehicles on sale. Although in that case, their numbers are not high, but the leader in that category is the Volvo XC40. And now its sales numbers, which represent over 100 a week, would put it in 13th place in the lower price category. Now, drive away prices for the Kia Seltos start at $32,500, 
and go up to about $48,000. It has two powertrain options, a 2-litre four-cylinder non-turbo petrol engine, 110 kilowatts, 180 newton metres of torque, and that's driving through a CVT gearbox. Practical, but less exciting. The more sportier version is the 1.6-litre four-cylinder turbo petrol engine. Now, that puts out 146 kilowatts and, more significantly, 265 newton metres of torque. That's the pulling power. And that starts at a low rev range, so it's very usable. It also uses an eight-speed automatic gearbox. There are four feature variant levels available with the Seltos. The base version, that's the S, the Sport, the Sport Plus, and the GT Line. All variants are available in two-wheel drive, but the top two are also available in all-wheel drive. And indeed, we tested the top-of-the-range GT Line all-wheel drive. Our artist in residence and former rally driver, Dean Oliver, and I went for a drive in the vehicle. And we started by backing out of his driveway. Quite a good uh, reversing camera, isn't it? Yes, it's clear, uh, David. It's got a good wide field of view, lovely accurate graphics. And uh, it's got cross-traffic alert. Uh, Dean, you've driven it a bit now. What do you think is it with overall impressions? Oh, I'm very impressed, David. It's um, enjoyable to drive, easy to drive. Controls are pretty intuitive. I do like the, the feel of the steering. It doesn't have that sort of urgency or, or, or the that strange grabbing feeling that sometimes the lane keep assist the, the various assistance modes have got it's quite a natural feeling system you found that it rolled along quite nicely too and in fact you hopped in another car and found that it wasn't quite as good yes for a small suv and one which is aimed at a, at a slightly more sporting sort of edge it really rides very well. It doesn't have some of the harshness uh, and vibration that you might expect from from a small SUV with a, uh, a turbocharged 1.6 litre motor. Mm. It doesn't bounce along too much. Uh, the, the speed humps which uh, proliferate in this area uh, don't cause it too much uh, unsettling motion at all. Uh, it's a top of the line model and um, it gets along very well. It's got just enough uh, urge to uh, make it interesting to drive. It keeps up with the traffic beautifully. Uh, it's not at all harsh around around town. Uh, it's tractable. What fuel do you need? Well, surprisingly uh, and pleasingly, it runs on standard 91, unleaded, which is terrific. I, I wouldn't have been at all surprised if it had have demanded you know, higher octane. While driving, we came upon a beautifully preserved 1969 Holden Monaro V8. He was just backing out of his driveway ahead of us, and the driver obviously felt the need to let us know he was there. Dean accelerated within the speed limit to keep up so that we could have a closer look and get some photos. That gave him a reflection on the Seltos. That's the first time I've really put my foot down a bit, and it really does get along quite well. The Seltos has a choice of seven colours, plus two of those colours can also be specified with a fusion black roof. The no-cost base colour is called Mars Orange, a very strong and bright colour, not your usual flat white. But then each of the other colours, which are Pluton Blue, Snow White, Pearl Steel Grey, Gravity Grey, Fusion Black and Neptune Blue 
come with an additional cost of $520. Our test car was the Pluton Blue. You like the colour? Yes, yes, I'm living with it now for a day, and uh, at first I scoffed and thought, oh no, it's another one of these drab um, sludge grey colour schemes, but no, there's a little bit of a bluishness to it, and it's got a faint metallic sheen, which, uh, uh, congratulations, Kier, I think it's a, it's a great colour, it looks terrific, I'm yeah, very impressed. Interior? Oh, yeah, clean, contemporary, plastics are, there's a variety of plastic finishes, which is good, the hard plastics are, are hard, um, but I mean, we're, we're not driving a high-end Audi or Mercedes. You get what you pay for. Yeah, I, I find the hardness of it really often only comes in when you feel it, which is not very often. I mean, I do like the feel of a softer thing, but that's when I get in a car, I would prefer the sat-nav to work well. Mm-hmm. Get back to a theme. <laughs> But then again, if you've got a nervous passenger who tends to grip the, 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 the dashboard uh, you know, with, with frequency, um, uh, you do want soft, uh, tactile uh, experience uh, for, the, for the poor passenger. But then again, if you've got a nervous passenger who tends to grip the, 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 the dashboard uh, you know, with, with frequency, um, uh, you do want soft, uh, tactile uh, experience uh, for, the, for the poor passenger. Dean, I hate what you're doing. Oh, but doesn't it feel nice? <laughs> Please remain seated during the performance. <laughs> the reference to staying seated during the performance is a personal remark. It goes back to the days when we rallied together. I was the navigator, so Dean put a printed message on the roll bar in front of me that said, Please remain seated during the performance. The origin of that little sign led to a digression in our conversation centred around the similarities between rallying and ballet. The little message you used to have in your rally car for us navigators. Ah, those were the days. Which, Dean, I believe you cut out of a pamphlet and that for the ballet. I think it was a, it was a program. Um, I thought that that's appropriate. I like how... It was a rough and tough rally, yet it had an element that referred to the ballet. Well, rallying is balletic, I think, in, in, in its basic intent. I mean, it's tremendously athletic, it's fast, it's balletic, and if the dancer makes even the tiniest slip-up, total loss of control. Just like rallying. I remember, Dean, sitting in the car after you'd rallied a bit and you went round a corner and the tail went out and zoomed and you controlled it wonderfully. And I thought that was poetic, you know, that you were at a level of physics that was beyond, like the ballet dancer, that's beyond what any of us would normally envisage. Yet it could be not only controlled, not only necessarily corrected, but actually meant to be because that's what it was all about. Those moments were few and far between and really reinforced uh, to me that uh, great drivers can do that uh, endlessly. Uh, Lesser mortals can do it infrequently. (laughs) The Seltos has an extensive range of safety features, including blind spot collision avoidance, rear cross traffic avoidance, safe exit warning, intelligent speed limit system, lane keep assist, lane follow assist, driver attention alert. And that even gives you an alert if you've stopped in a queue for about 30 seconds or more 
and the vehicle in front of you moves away and you don't move immediately. In other words, if you've stopped paying attention. But not all people are helped in the same way, and there are a few features that do not allow you to simply and adequately adjust the warning and notifications so that it is most helpful to you. The clearest example of this is an audio warning if you are exceeding what the car thinks is the speed limit. But what is the real speed limit? Now, all speedos in cars overestimate the speed and not all roads provide speed signs as frequently as you need for this function, let alone school zone signs that are still there in non-school times. Now, you can turn the audible warning off, but it also automatically turns off the display of the speed limit that the car has determined by reading road signs. A bit of extra information that can be helpful. Now, you can get the speed limit or the speed zone from the satellite navigation, but that may not be up to date and would not necessarily or not cover temporary situations such as roadworks. Now, the frustration is compounded when you have to turn off this audible warning every time you start the car, and it is a four-step process. So, in conclusion, the Siltos is a mature, small SUV that gives confidence to the driver and good comfort to the passenger. It has a lot of modern technology. There are a few niggly things as is happening in many new vehicles involving warning sounds and other indications. We need to evolve to the place where the driver is able to easily adjust warnings and communication of information to a way that is most helpful to them and certainly not distracting. Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia. After the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, we road-tested the Rolls-Royce she used when she was in Australia. It's a lovely reflection of the life and times of one aspect of our country, but it is also an opportunity to reflect on some great motoring history. At the time, we spoke to Joan Eve, who is one of the trustees of the Henry Royce Foundation and a passionate advocate for maintaining the history of Rolls-Royce in general, and Henry Royce, who was the technical genius behind the company in particular. Joan and her husband, John Matheson, bought the Queen's Rolls-Royce when it was sold in the 1990s, and she has some fascinating stories to tell, including entering the Peking to Paris rally in the Rolls. The interview was conducted in the back seat of the Rolls, including an injection of a comment from another enthusiast. Jeanne-Yves, and I'm a trustee for the Sir Henry Royce Foundation Australia. When did you get involved with Rolls-Royces? Oh, that goes back a long way by my husband. I can think back, it was soon after our first child was born, so that was um, mid to late 80s. But my father um, in England 
had a variety of cars and one of them was a Bentley. So I always grew up with an aunt, my father, there were there were met petrol heads. So I always I guess had cars I always knew there was a variety of cars available on the market, but I do remember my father driving up and down a deserted um, air, land, layer airfield trying to see how fast his Bentley would go. And this would have been about a 1950s car. <laughs> I was in the back seat and there were picnic tables in the back. I loved it. <laughs> We have two interns, and we went to a history day, the Shannon's Classic, and uh, her father went with her as well, and it was a wonderful way of interacting with the children. Oh, yes, I had a car like that. There were a little bit of don't do this at home as well, you know, like the speed. But it, it's important, perhaps, to understand the history of that by often reflecting on the cars. Uh, yes, I, I think um, whatever goes on in your childhood has an influence later. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I mean, you have your own children. You wonder what memories will they keep later on? What has influenced their decision? I have a grandchild who sat in a little toy car uh, when he was about two or three and immediately beeped the horn, you know, pretended to beep the horn and said, get out of the way. So <laughs> perhaps they remember the wrong things. <laughs> Uh, well, you need humour in life. <laughs> so when, when did this car come into the family? It was in 1993 and we had, a, we had a, another Rolls Royce and the Australian government was putting it up for auction and not many people knew about it, but I happened to see a small article in the Saturday's paper and I said, John... Your favourite car's coming up for auction, which was the Rolls-Royce Phantom 5, the ex-Vice Regal one, um, when Paul Keating, I think, was Prime Minister and mm. uh, the Australian government was changing the cars over. This was also getting too expensive to run. Mm. Um, it was only used for stately and ex-Vice Regal um, times. And so so it, was, it was sold off to the general public and we were the only bidders. Really? May I ask what it was worth? I can't remember. <laughs> but I you... actually can't remember. <laughs> but you proceeded. Yeah, indeed. I mean, when you're the only bidder, I mean, mm. we're astounded. Mm. Absolutely astounded. That wasn't our expectation at all. And then um, when it was up at the Hyde Park Barracks in Sydney in Macquarie Street, and people could go up and... There was, there was, a, there was various cars were being sold, and I was... I had a free day on Monday, and so I went up to pick it up, and I just saw this enormous car, this huge bunch of keys, thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to get in there, everybody's watching, I've got to find the right key to put into the ignition and drive off. It was quite difficult. Because daunting? It was daunting, because the brakes were spongy, um, things were a bit loose, and it was quite difficult getting into Macquarie Street and driving home. But you have driven it uh, quite a lot since, haven't you? Indeed. Uh, we entered the Peking to Paris Motor Challenge in 1997, uh, which I think is about 10,000 miles, and we were Team Australia. There were three of us from Sydney, and we completed it. We did have our problems in Tibet when we broke a spring, and we had a camp at minus 13 degrees, but we had our own oxygen tanks. We had a special eider-down cover for the car, which, to be honest, I think saved our lives. Um, yes, people were very cross with us that how dare you take a Rolls-Royce car like this onto uh, a motor challenge. And we said, 
this car is extraordinarily reliable. Um, we know Rolls-Royce would do it. We put a huge amount of time, two years worth, of psychological, mechanical and personal preparation. And we did not change the interior, although we put foam to protect the woodwork and the cocktail cabinets. We kept, we changed, we put in our own sherry glasses and decanter in case they broke. They didn't. Um, we crossed 13 rivers. We went through the Himalayas. We went through deserts of Iran. We went basically from Beijing to Paris. Did you use the sherry glasses? <laughs> Actually, it's funny you ask me that because, yes. <laughs> but it was at the end when we arrived in Paris and somebody had a champagne bottle. So I just put the sherry glass out of the window. <laughs> filled it up I deserve that I can tell you and, and, and the other thing is the other it was an international rally and there were about 93 cars and I can't remember how many countries were represented but a lot of countries including from Iran which was great to meet their drivers and um, we were nicknamed Lizzie's Taxi because everybody knew it was the Queen's car so we were Lizzie's Taxi and when we couldn't proceed because we broke a spring and we got left behind and then we had to catch up again in Nepal which we did uh, we were then called Phoenix Five because this is a Phantom Five. So then we were nicknamed <laughs> Phoenix Five. <laughs> so honestly, the camaraderie of an international event was absolutely fantastic. And this car was being followed by the Daily Telegraph. We had Lord Montague as the reporter sitting in the back. I mean, I couldn't do anything wrong because I was being reported upon the whole time. <laughs> did Did you have to be careful with your language? Did you? <laughs> Oh, well, actually, Lord Montague was actually quite good because we broke a spring in Tibet and um, I don't think I swore, but we were all a bit unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was, you know, it, it was a dangerous time in some regards. Well, it was a, an, a, a very uh, tough adventure. Yes, it, that same route has never been repeated, although the events run every four years. Um, we were the first event to go through Iran and when it opened up, we were the first ones to go through Tibet. And China gave us special permission. And I think that was the only time. And it was it was very, very difficult. You talked about the camaraderie, but there's also that sort of international um, working together aspect about it too, wasn't there, if you got to go to those other places? The organisers had a huge job because not only did we start in China... But we also went through Iran, um, where we had stones thrown at us every day. So there were elements of the population that were very anti-Western. But but having said that, the most of the population were extraordinarily friendly. Um, and I think being a woman, it was you know, some of the women mm. enjoy seeing mm. another woman driving because I used to take turns. I used to do the afternoon shift basically. Um, yes, it took enormous logistics. Yours would have been the most comfortable car in the event. Uh, yes, <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was probably the most extraordinary and unusual one. <laughs> As I said, some people were just perplexed that how how could we do it? <laughs> but I think it, it's it's a tremendous testament to this car. You have now um, given it over to the... Yes, uh, we had it repainted and a little bit of panel beating where stones were thrown at us. Then we donated it to the Henry Royce Foundation about 20 years ago. Mm. We didn't want to sell it because we didn't want it to become a wedding car. We wanted it mm. to be preserved. Um, and this way it gets taken out on public 
motoring events. Public are invited to sit in, learn about its history, why it's important for Australian motoring culture. And it is part of our history and heritage. I saw a guy who restored old Porsche tractors and his principle was that kids could sit in it or could sit on it. It's important to all good sculpture ought to be able to play on it. And I had a, a lecturer once said that, and I think it, the same goes with historic cars. Look, I think it's absolutely true, and we always have the doors open, and we encourage people to come in. Um, I, I agree with you. I think you've got to live and see and feel and and hear. I mean, that's all about education, and therefore appreciation. Do you have a Rolls now? No. No, um, my husband can no longer drive. He's got a, uh, an illness to prevent him from driving. But our two vintage cars are now with his son, my stepson. And he has certainly taken over that motoring knowledge and is very good and maintains and drives our old Silver Ghost. Oh, okay, lovely. Uh, Joanne, and uh, you are still a member of the clubs and what have you, and the events are still part of it. What does that mean to you? Um, look, I think you reach an age where you think, well, what's realistic and practical? Um, no, I've rather dropped out of motoring events, mainly because mm. John hasn't driven for five years. Mm. It's not much fun when you've got a partner and he he's, sort of takes mm. away the, the enjoyment. But but, I'm, but I guess I'm more involved in the, the history and the preserving. Um, so it's a different aspect. And important that the history is not just a chronological thing. It is the life and times, be it of a vehicle or of a person. Yeah, I think we can call it living history. Have you told them that uh, mm. my wife Margaret and I, who are founding members, my numbers one and two of the mm. Rolls-Royce Owners Club, drove this car with David Neely from Sydney to Adelaide for the Adelaide Club's <laughs> big function. And it was a marvellous experience driving a car like this. I'm going to interview your wife. Should they tell me that she's uh, um, you know, well informed on uh, Rolls-Royces in Australia? Yeah, so am I. So well, numbers, numbers one and two. Yeah. <laughs> so Barry, well, I'm sure David will come and interview you both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if but uh, uh, it's been a joy and a pleasure to have it in our garage. Oh, I bet it has. It's yeah. been wonderful. Yeah. Mm. And that's mm. a great car. Well, perhaps if I come in there, I might uh, have the two of you together. If that's all right. <laughs> Whatever. All right. Okay. Lovely. Just tell Margaret. No, this is fine. This is yeah, I love great characters and people with passion. That's been lovely, and and you have a book out about the the adventure. Yeah, I did. I self-published a book in um, 1999, but I'm going to try and um, turn it into a digital production because there's a lot of information there, and I don't think looking at the world today, looking at fuel, looking at the types of cars, I'm not sure that these motor challenges will continue. We'll have to find other ways to uh, remember and be involved in things, which perhaps takes away from just what the hard adventure was of early motoring. Look, indeed, and this is why the Peking to Paris Motor Challenge was done as a commemoration of the original... I can't remember the date. But the 1907, the original Peking to Paris race to show that cars could go anywhere. But I think what today brings is you can always do fundraising. And we were fundraising at that time for the National Epilepsy Association. And I was always meeting people and talking to people about epilepsy. So these motor challenges can be involved with our community through fundraising. 
And I think that's a very important part. Again, it includes the public. And it's not just about camshafts and dis- and brakes. Believe me, if it was, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> Joanne, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very it's much. A pleasure, David. Thank you. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Juan Eve, Dean Oliver, Bruce Potter and Mark Wesley for their help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or links to the social and podcasts. Look for Cars, Transport, Culture. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.